Welcome to the Self Within Podcast, where we will look to ancient traditions and modern insights to seek guidance, knowledge, and practical tools to help us reconnect with our true selves. Join me, your host, as we explore various topics from mindfulness and meditation to energy healing, astrology, and much more. We'll hear from experts and everyday individuals to explore the connections that exist between mind, body, and spirit, and how we can use them for personal growth. To learn more about how to work with me, visit nunatherapy.com or follow me on social media at nunatherapy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I'm super excited um, because this is a topic that really deeply resonates with me. And we're going to be talking about the exploration between our bodies, our emotions, and the relationship that many of us can have with food throughout this journey. And speaking to us about this is Nia Carrillo. She is the founder of Eclectic Wellness. She's a holistic nutritionist and a mind-body practitioner. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I love talking about this. I think every woman can relate to what we're about to share. Totally. And I just can't wait to really dive into it because I think there are so many different aspects of this and so much of what we do hear about is really on the surface. And so I'm interested to go beneath all those layers and start to dig into where does this actually stem from? Like, how can we actually deal with some of these things that come up for us? But before we go into all of that, because I know this is going to get super juicy, I want to know more about you and your journey, really what led you to opening up your practice and then doing the work that you do, because so much of it really is, as I saw on your website, is about that subconscious healing and trauma that so many of us have, not just with food, but I would say our bodies and self-image, self-love, so much of that. So tell us more. Yeah, this is a, a great entry point into going underneath the hood because the whole reason I started a business, which in the beginning wasn't quite intentional. It was kind of like, there's this gap and I'm really passionate about this. And so I'm going to help people. And it's because I struggled with the same things myself. I actually think my journey with food and health and my body started really young, but consciously I can go back to like maybe 10 years old. And that's because I literally have a journal where I tracked my food. And when you're that age, I can remember having that journal. Like you think fourth, fifth grade, you're so mature and grown up. But now in my thirties, when I look back at that journal, that was really young. And that wasn't the beginning of this really sticky, uncomfortable relationship with not only my body, but also food. And it all began with a disconnection from myself. I had a lot of childhood trauma that in a nutshell was being abandoned by both of my parents by the age of two and raised by my grandparents who did the best they could given the circumstances. I mean, this was the early 90s. No one knew about nervous system regulation and having open trauma-informed conversations like the way parents have these resources today. And 
I think in their way of protecting me, they kept so much information from me, especially because I was one of those students that excelled in school. And so I think they didn't want to interrupt the flow of that by being honest, like, here's what happened and why, like, don't make this mean X, Y, Z, like those beliefs that get formed around zero to eight, that's when the subconscious is formed. So I had a lot of that turmoil going on in the background. And because my parents were both so young, there was just so much chaos that gets involved. So my family was very dysfunctional. And it was a lot of generational trauma. Like my grandparents had their children really young too. And so it was a lot of, um, and that translated to me feeling like an alien in my family growing up. I could understand so much so young. And I think a lot of children can. Mm. And be not like literally logically using the mind, but energetically absorbing it all and being like, where am I? And how did I get here? because no one's giving the answers or they're trying to spell things out and you can read between the lines. (laughs) That was like my environment. And I think the way for me was food. And this is something I know for a lot of women, food easily becomes this artificial means of connection. And Before we take that route as young women, even if it's in our teenage years, there's a trauma that exists before that trauma, which is disconnection. And so I felt very disconnected. And when we're babies, the way we connect with our moms or whoever our caretakers is through food. Like that's when they're holding us. If we are breastfed, we're receiving nourishment from the place we grew inside this body. So there's a lot of connection that happens and gets really connected with being fed. And so it's like, we're trying, we're really hungry for like joy or pleasure or connection. And so that gets easily put on to the next best thing, which is food. And that was very much the case for me. And I think it started off like a slow on-ramp, like those early tween, preteen years. And that's like when your body is changing also. So it's just a generally uncomfortable time. But if there's trauma also occurring, like very lowercase T trauma or even capital T trauma, it's like a heightened sense of I need something to control I need something to soothe Mm. and food because it's one of the top addictions but because we need it it's not like we can abstain from it and some people do do that with eating disorders like that it became this way that like I didn't know what was going on but I knew I could self-regulate with food so it's actually really smart of my body and it did protect me and it ended up turning into a weight issue. And by the time I was 13, so let's say this issue started when I was eight, nine, by the time I was 13, I was over 200 pounds, which is really heavy for a young girl. And also again, coupled with the discomfort of puberty Mm. and middle school, it was not a fun time for me. (laughs) Like, I don't think a lot of people had fun during that time. And so it, it turned into diet culture also having that influence. I saw this TikTok the other day about 
how we would say Hillary Duff was chubby or Raven Simone, like these characters we saw on TV and they were average teenagers, but so many people commented on their body. So we have this contrast of a skewed representation of what a healthy body looks like. So all that coupled in and it turned into later eating disorders and I think the problem that a lot of people think it's all in your head of like, if I just have more willpower or if I just exercise more or if I eat less, all of this will be fixed. But if we go back to the beginning of my story, which I think a lot of women will relate to, is that it started with an emotion, not eating too much or having bad genes or whatever. So we can't heal it by just doing physical things. And Western medicine really stunts that process. So people find me and that's how my business formed in a a really long nutshell. (laughs) You said so many different things there that just hit home (laughs) for me. And I I don't even know where to start, to be honest. Yeah, it's so interesting. The story you talked about, like having this journal when you were 10 and knowing that it started around that time. And for me, I remember... I was in high school and I never, I don't know if I truly ever got down to that emotion that you talked about, but I remember having an experience where I ended up having to go to the dentist to get my wisdom teeth pulled out. So it like started in such a weird way, but through that process, I wasn't able to actually chew food. I had to, for a little while, just, you know, everything that was liquid, yogurt, soups, things like that. And I remember losing a few pounds and that really just prompted this obsession of like, oh, I can keep losing weight if I just don't eat as much. And it just spiraled from that one incident. And I became so obsessed with the way that I looked. And I think you mentioned that, right? There is this culture and I think it's only been within the last few years that it's really started to shift in the mainstream where it's not the norm to be this perfect body, really thin beauty comes in so many forms. But at that time in the nineties, it was that look. And I think as women and as girls that are just starting to develop into their bodies, your hormones, so many things are going on and you're in high school and you want boys to like you, or you want people to like you, right? there is this like, how do you fit in? And for me, I was became so obsessed with how I looked. And at some point, I really do think it was totally in my head because I would look at myself in the mirror and I wasn't seeing what others were seeing. I kept seeing a part of my body that I was so unhappy with and dissatisfied with. And I would really get down on myself for it. But I was down to a size zero. I mean, I was like so thin. And I look at pictures now and it's like the mirror was an illusion for me and I couldn't get past it. It wasn't until I completely stopped getting my period. I had to go to the doctor. And of course, the doctor was like, well, what else is going on? Like there was nothing that else that could have happened, but I wasn't having enough nutrients. I wasn't getting enough fat into my body. And that's what caused this period to completely just stop. And eventually, long story short, I had to get put on medicine and to get back to normal. And eventually that led to, you know, I went from like not eating to bulimia because it was the the next best thing for me. 
right? It was like, I was still not happy with my body. And I think it goes down to like what you're saying, which is like the core issue wasn't resolved. And if I think about it now, it came really down to like wanting love or something about being loved. I'm even thinking it's like a past life thing for me because I, as a kid, always asked my mom, especially if she loved me. And if I think about it now, it's kind of a weird thing to ask your parent very frequently that question. And she was an awesome mom. So it's not that that was the problem, but yeah, it came down to that. And I've had to, over the years, find my own self-love find that love in myself. And it's been a journey. It's never been easy. And you can attest to this with with your experience. It's not like it's a short-term thing. Oftentimes this is like this roller coaster of you're in the eating disorder, you come out, you go back in it, you go back out. And it can be this really long process. For me, if I started in high school, this lasted into like my mid twenties, even probably late twenties, if I think about it. So I don't know, so many things hit home for me. You said something that is very distinct with body image specifically is we have this, the warped mirror, like where a lot of women, and this is like how I get women to be like really sure and certain that this has nothing to do with their body because I do get women who are more fuller figured and they feel uncomfortable. And I'll say when you look at pictures of yourself, when say you were 30 pounds lighter, did you think you were heavier then? And the answer is always yes. And I'm like, that is proof that it's not about your body. And the weight you actually want to lose has nothing to do with Mm. pounds. And so that mirror is like, when we start looking at ourselves and now in hindsight, you can see there's so much illusion But a cue I tell a lot of women is what are you actually rejecting? Because like your stomach for women, that's like this marker of, and and men too, like this marker of how healthy you are, but you'll be very familiar with this, but the chakra that resides there is all about willpower. And so there's, and shame is very interconnected in there on the darker side of it. Like when it's not balanced, if if you will, shame, judgment, the ego really can start to take up residency there. So our eyes immediately go to this area. And also societally, we have said, oh, someone has a six pack they are healthy. We've equated thinness being healthy, but like you gave a great example. There's so many thin women out there who can't even produce life because they can't even sustain their own, which means they lose their period. Like they have no fertility. So looking in the mirror, it's that heaviness that we're seeing, but it's not necessarily with our physical eyes. And because we don't have this information in this context, especially like 10, 20 years ago, or even today, we're not taught it, then we believe it must be what we're seeing in quote unquote, the 3D. Because I see that with my eyes, I have this illusion, then that must be true. But what we're really seeing is maybe the heaviness that we're carrying from our parents. Like you mentioned, you had a great relationship with your mom and you felt very seen and loved by her, but there was a part of you that questioned, do you love me? What if you were feeling like 
her projections of her lack of self-love or maybe the love she maybe had to overcompensate for because she didn't feel loved by her mom. So there's just so much that's around it that it's not what meets the eye. It is so much deeper. And we get in a lot of tricky situations with ourselves when we internalize it as others. And a lot of women carry shame from their mothers and the mother's mother, because that's just women have been shamed for so long mm. that we, we mistake it for ours because we're just so used to carrying it. That's so interesting that you're saying that, because I actually don't think I've ever thought about the fact that we can be influenced or impacted so much by the shame from generations, right? Or even just from like immediately our own parents or my own mom um, and how that that projection can happen, which is also another mirror. I mean, if we're really talking about it, right? That's super interesting because I really hadn't thought about it, but I loved that you talked about the chakras because the solar plexus has been, it's like constantly comes up for me as like, that's the area you need to focus on. And that's the space that's right above the belly button. And it is the one that is so focused on the confidence that we have, the courage, our self-esteem, our self-respect. Like these are all of the things that when we are really down on, on ourselves, not just about how we look, but in other areas of our life, it really impacts the perception that we have, how we're feeling, all of those things. And so that's where we actually start going into the subconscious, right? And that stored emotional trauma. And I know that trauma can be stored in different areas for different people. It doesn't always have to be that solar plexus, but it could be like the root chakra at the base of your spine and so many other areas that also have an impact on our relationship with food or how we view ourselves and how we love ourselves. Yeah, you bring up a really good point when you mention the root. If you have an eating disorder of any kind and there's eating disorder and then there's disordered eating. And I think a lot of women have disordered eating, like they may not be quote unquote anorexic or bulimic, but something that's very common is just like, oh, carbs are bad. The labeling of food, just this uncomfortable relationship with nourishment, because that is what food represents. And so if you have an iffy or uncomfortable relationship where even if there's a fear of, oh, if I eat this food, I'm going to get fat. Or if I do this thing with food and I don't eat in a certain way, there's this fear or conditionality around it, that disordered pattern. There is a lack of safety in your body. And that goes all the way back to childhood because now we're bringing in the nervous system. So it's like the way we try to gain control with that food. And because it represents the nourishment and connection and even a little bit of pleasure, we start to cut ourselves off by way of not eating or restricting our food that it just brings us always to a deeper level. Like I would say I've never worked with any client in the last seven years where we're not working on safety. So that could be something that like, started in the womb for you, but you might not have conscious recollection of it, but your body knows, and it creates these patterns and habits, which we can deem as bad or shadowy or negative, but really any trauma pattern we have, we have to honor it and thank it in some ways, even if it's like the 
worst addiction you could have, a drug addiction or whatever, it saved your life. And that was the best resource you had at that time was I'm going to restrict food because that makes me feel in control. When it starts causing havoc in our life, like getting in the way of our relationships and we call attention to it of like, I have to change it. That's a key telltale sign that thing no longer serves you. You're wearing the winter coat in summer and you can take it off mm-hmm. and it's safe to do so that you can now graduate from this But the thing people often jump to is this is bad, like a rejection of it. And what we reject will become louder because it doesn't feel honored and respected. And it also believes because it's trapped in the past that it has to keep taking over and it doesn't feel safe for us to take over. So we have to learn those steps. And that's thus begins a healing journey of how do I build that trust and that safety with myself? Because now I'm reparenting me. So what does this part need for me that feels so unsafe? Now, you talked about even having an unhealthy relationship with food. It doesn't always have to be a disorder of any sort. And I mean, so many people that I know, like it's totally a topic of conversation where it's like, I'm on this diet or I'm cutting this out. And I'm wondering now, and I'd love your thoughts on this is like, do I still have an unhealthy relationship with food? Because I never really sought professional help. I eventually somehow miraculously got over it. And I think I found a place where I got into a relationship. I found the love that I think I was craving and over time, I've also found love for myself, but I still feel that thoughts creep in mm-hmm. and they creep in in many ways. It could be like, oh, can't have too much of that, or I'm going to start to cut back on this because I've already had so much, right? So in some way I do control myself. So I'm curious, do I still have an unhealthy <laughs> relationship with food. And I think I'm scared to know the answer. I don't think you do as much as you think, but this is what I'll say. I like to think of it. I'm not a mother, but I know you are. I like to think of it as we need, like shame is not inherently bad. And so it's toxic shame that I'm talking about when we do these things, because it starts to disconnect us from our life, for example. So Shame actually creates boundaries for us. And because you're a mother, you know that like, you can't let your kid have candy whenever they want it. Or even though they're really tired, they still have to brush their teeth before bed. Even though it would feel so good to go to bed and skip that whole process, you know what's best for them. And Mm. so we do have that inner parent in us. And like a healing journey is reparenting. And so I always give myself this, like inner dialogue, if you will. For me, it's like, do I really need that second glass of wine? Like when I reach for that second glass of wine, what am I actually reaching for? Like, do I just want it because of the taste? Yeah, that actually feels really good. Or do I want that like second piece of cake, whatever the like pleasurable thing is, but a good gauge to ask yourself is like, is this a resource of pleasure? Because it is absolutely okay to receive pleasure and like enjoyment from food and maybe even eat a little bit more than you actually physically need. But if it's the source of your pleasure, the source of your joy, 
that's when we go into murky territory. Mm -hmm. And when you're cutting certain foods back, it's, is this because it makes me feel off? Like, for instance, my body doesn't, for some reason, agree with dairy all the time. And so I will cut back from that food because it makes me feel sluggish. I don't feel good the next day after I eat it. I feel really heavy and inflamed. And so that would be a good idea for my inner parent to be like, you know what, maybe you don't have pizza today and you get like the chicken wings instead at the restaurant. But if it went to, you need a salad and I don't really want a salad, that's again, when we come into that like too controlling. So it's finding that like compromise with yourself where it's both for joy and pleasure, but also you're feeding the needs of your body. I love how you explain that as like, is it the source of X, Y, or Z, pleasure, love, happiness, et cetera. And that's a great way of, I think, measuring, hey, am I like, am I starting to creep into the territory of unhealthy habits and unhealthy ways of having a relationship with food? Or is it just, as you said, that inner parent, which I think is a really nice kind of differentiator. I'm totally taking that with me. I'm like, where's my headspace? Because sometimes I've for myself, oh man, it's still there. And is it always going to be there? It's almost like once you have an unhealthy relationship, like it's always in the background. It's it's part of your experience. It's part of a memory as we have experiences with people in our lives. Um, so I've always kind of worried about that, but I'm glad to know that we can just like, use it as a source of wisdom. Honestly, I feel like there's some, there's an opportunity for shadow work for you in that. Like if I like go too far this way, what would that mean about me? Or if this thing came back and I lost all control of food, what am I actually really afraid of? Like bloating for women is a lot, is a huge trigger. Mm. And so a lot of women will be like, oh my God, I just don't want to be bloated. And it happens. Even the most healthiest people sometimes occasionally get bloated. But when you go into that territory of, well, what would happen if I completely let myself have this big puffy belly, what would it mean? Oh, well, it would mean that like I've lost control of myself. I'm a bad person. And that gives you insight to those beliefs that were formed at a probably a really young age and will give you insight to what you're actually responding to because a trigger is frozen in time in the past. And so I almost feel like it's like this younger part of you trying to get your attention of like, maybe there's like a deeper layer of work. And it's not that you've not healed or resolved it. It's like, as we go deeper into our journey, we're spinning things. There's so many dimensions to a particular wound or trauma that it's an opportunity to go deeper and understand and be with the pain or the trauma of it because we've evolved and we're a different person. So now we're looking at it from a different place. I love that. I think that's a great question for people to ask themselves when they do get there. It's like kind of creating or visualizing a scenario for yourself where the opposite is true or the opposite is happening. And then really starting to ask yourself, well, what would that mean for you? Where does that fear come from? Talking about the root chakra and that safety and security that we need. And so many of us crave if we don't have it in our lives right now, but I would love to know from you. And I think we're kind of touched upon this as well is what are some strategies for 
continuing to deal with any relationship with food that people may have, or even an unhealthy relationship with their bodies and that self-image that especially women, I think deal with a lot, but I know men do too. Mm -hmm. Uh, The number one thing I think that one could gift themselves if they're struggling with their relationship with food is space. And what I mean by that is slowing your life down because stress is like such a silent killer, but it's like stress is stress is stress. So if it's physical stress, emotional stress, I don't know, any kind of stress, if you have a history of trauma and most of us do, I have still yet to find someone, even if it's just like your parents getting divorced, which with marriages and in divorce, like you had something that's impacted you where now food is taking the brunt or the weight of this challenge. And so if you don't have space to relax yourself, it's going to be really hard. I think a big oversight, I should say that a lot of people make when they're trying to get healthy is there's still a part of them that wants to keep their old life intact Mm. while they go into like, it's a big swap that they want. And the fact is, is like the version of you that you want to become and not having an unhealthy relationship with food, a version of you that nourishes themselves, respects themselves, like really takes care of themselves and loves themselves is not the same person that is you now and feels complete opposite from that. And so in order to transition, you have to have this slowness, this spaciousness, because the body communicates to us way slower than the mind does. And that's a really key differentiator when you're like connecting with the body. Like, is this anxiety from my mind or is this from my body? The body's so subtle, it's so soft. And if you're moving so fast in your life, you have this going on, you have no help, you're not going to be able to get a grasp on it because those bad habits are just going to creep in. So spaciousness and slowing down is like the number one thing that when I've worked with people in the past, That's probably the hardest thing of it all, because if you're a parent, you can't really slow down as much, but there are small things that you can do. Like instead of committing to social things with your friends, you take that time for yourself. Or if it's getting up just even 10 minutes earlier to do whatever it is that you want to do to nurture yourself. So finding those ways where you're creating a bumper and creating the boundary between you and the rest of your life. And that really just comes down to nervous system regulation. And once people get a little bit of a taste of it, of, oh, I have this time for me, this boundary of me of taking care of myself, they're going to want more. And so that dives deeper into the concept of regulating your nervous system. You could take the highest quality supplements, be eating the most perfect diet, go to the gym three to five times a week. And this is where I meet a lot of women and is in this exact space and still not be healthy, still feel like crap, still feel like you are in survival mode because none of that matters if you are not regulated. And if you do not feel safe in your body or in your life, none of those changes will 
land. It's like having a house with horrible foundation. It's just going to crumble. And it's a waste of your time and your money because a lot of people are like, I've tried all these things. I've gone on all these diets. I've taken all these best supplements. And even my doctor doesn't understand. And so Mm -hmm. that nervous system regulation is so, so, so key because it will keep you in a spiral. And so there's so many different ways people can go about that. And so there's yoga and Reiki and these, it just, you have to find the thing that resonates for you and that you're going to be consistent with. And keeping in mind too, that a lot of people who come from traumatic or dysfunctional life situations when they were younger, it's really hard for them to identify that they are stressed because their threshold is so high that they're like, Oh, like I feel fine. And it's like, uh, your body is telling me otherwise. Like if you can't go to the bathroom every single day, if your hormones are out of whack, if you have an eating disorder, you are not fine. There's something going on. The fact that you're even in my office and like asking for my help tells me that you are stressed to some degree. And so slowing down is going to make you realize because it starts to build contrast with, oh, that's how I usually feel. And now I'm starting to feel more calm. And so I wouldn't say it's a straight through like a strategy, but I would say that's the biggest Thing that I'm, I, and even for myself, it's really hard to identify, but like slowing down and regulating myself is, and yourself is going to do wonders. Like less is really more. I, yeah. I mean, I think the fact that you mentioned that for so many people, the norm is super high that it's really hard. And that's where we begin to push ourselves and push our bodies. It's like, why am I not working? Why is this not working anymore? It was totally fine. And it's really because your body is yelling at you. It's like, well, I've done this for so long. I can't do it anymore. And it starts breaking down and breaking down can be really, really small things that you go to your doctor and you do all these tests and you just can't figure it out. And so I think that's so interesting to recognizing yourself is like, is this the way that you've always been just because you've had to, and there was no way out and no other option. And can you reflect on that as it is, and then really start to make a change? Because I think that is probably, I would say even harder than taking the space is first saying, Hey, this is actually not okay. Like I shouldn't be so, um, fast moving. I shouldn't be actually, this is not a normal state. Um, so that's such a challenge. I mean, other than your body speaking to you and being like, Hey, you got to take a nap or you have other things pop up medically that are, are unexplained. That can be little hints, I would say for people. Yes. Your symptoms. And I have this all over my website is like, they're like little things to decode. They're not literal, but For instance, I work with a lot of people who have digestive issues and physically speaking, that makes a lot of sense when your nervous system is dysregulated because the brain and the gut are connected by the vagus nerve. And so your digestion is going to take a hit when you are dysregulated, but on a more metaphysical, like let's zoom out of this. How can you digest life and trauma and pain? Like if you're not doing that on an emotional level, it's going to be really hard for you to digest your food 
the physical matter because there's so much energy that's affecting the regulation of things just going in and out. And so your body is like this, like symbolism of your life. And if you look at things from that level, for me, it's second nature by this point, but you'll start to see the larger picture of things. You have to feel safe. And I think that once you get into that groove of creating that spaciousness for yourself and you start to really calm down for lack of a better word, I feel like my work is so easy at that point. People don't really have food issues or don't feel like they have food addictions or disorders because the basis, the foundation is really set in place. And that's, I would say, I would say 75% of the work of it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I keep thinking about eating slowly. And I think that's one of the things that you also hear is like taking your time to really savor your food. I mean, that could also be a way of taking space as well. Just setting that intention of not eating at your desk or in front of your computer, like truly making it a beautiful ritual where you can just sit, even if it's only for five minutes. I think a lot of times we see this as it has to be this really long length of time. And I think the excuse is, but I don't have the time. I think it's so important to know it can be five minutes, but as long as you're intentional with the time and what you're eating, that makes a difference. Yes, because the energy and and there's actual PubMed studies on this, the energy and environment that you eat something in. So if I'm in an emotional state where everything's chaotic, like I'm at my desk or there's a baby crying and I'm trying to do a million things at once, the energy in which I'm consuming food also affects how it will be digested. And so I always say this to clients, a cookie or any meal eaten in shame is not the same as a meal eaten in joy and gratitude. Mm. And it's not that you have to create this like elaborate uh, ritual, as you said, it can be five, 10 minutes, but factually speaking, it takes 15 minutes for you to start to feel full for those hunger cues to start to calm down. Because again, the body speaks so much slower than the mind. So before you reach for seconds and believe that you're truly hungry, just wait 15 minutes. The food's not going to get up and walk away. Like the pot of food will remain on the stove. After 15 minutes, if you're still hungry, go for it. But giving yourself that space And also putting your phone down. There's like a lot of things that we can't control that's coming through our phone. Like it could provoke anger or jealousy or fear. And you're just like mindlessly eating, not even paying attention to your body because you're so focused on this thing that if you just turn your phone down and have no electronics that you're paying attention to, it will make all the difference because you can physically be with your body and listen to those cues. With those distractions, that becomes impossible. And eating fast too, like on a physical level, we don't chew our food well. And so if that food comes in there like half chewed into the digestive system, it's not gonna digest well. And you get a lot of people who are like, oh, I have poor bowel movements or I feel like I can't even go to the bathroom. It's like, well, let's start with the whole eating process of you chewing your food well. And that goes so far. It's those little tweaks that get made that make all the difference. And it's not that there's a lack of knowledge out there. Like people can Google and find out all this information. 
well, why are so many people unhealthy? It goes back to the emotionality, the intention, the energy of everything around it. And that's the biggest gap in all of this. So it sounds like first, it's really about getting conscious with your body and also recognizing your past, because I think there's something to be said about that. And if you haven't already started to do the work, I know so many people that are on spiritual journeys or personal development journeys. So some of this stuff I'm sure has already come up, but if you're not in that space or you haven't started to do the work, then start paying attention. I would say it sounds like start paying attention to the signals that your body is already sending you. And if those signals are making you feel a particular way, then start digging into your emotions, where things are stemming from. I think as you mentioned at some point, it's not one uh, size doesn't fit all, but it is really what resonates with people. And it's going to be different for everyone. And where our trauma comes from is different for everyone. And where we store those emotions is different for everyone. But I'd love to hear from you any parting words or anything that you'd want to say for how to make peace with food, with yourself, maybe anything from your particular journey or also things that you've encountered with clients that you've dealt with? I would say something that's really alive for me right now, that this is a relationship with food, this external source. And so you are not expected and should not do this alone. Like whether it's like through a community group of you have yoga classes or however you want to connect with others, but you can't hear, feel relational wounds in solitude. Like Mm -hmm. that it just doesn't work. You could get it intellectually and cognitively understand, but you're not going to actually embody that change until you start changing your relationship with the thing and that can't be done alone and i work a lot of times with women and it's usually the eldest daughter or the daughter who's the cycle breaker of the family or the the high achieving high performing girl that's just taken on all this stress and turned into a woman who just wants to feel safe and so he has these control issues that land into food create all these gut issues and health issues and At the end of the day, the work comes from the willingness to be vulnerable and connection. And that is connection, yes, with yourself, but with others. And they've shown studies that the the most unhealthiest individuals in this world are people that are isolated and have no community and have no source of healthy relationship with other people. And so you can't do this alone and you're not expected to, but knowing how to ask for help is your responsibility. And not that it's your fault that you have to ask for help, but that you get to choose. Like I am able to respond to this. How do I want to? And so that starts the middle ground of not feeling like a victim, but also utilizing resources and stepping up for yourself is asking for help. And that can be with a therapist, a nutritionist, whatever source works best for you is just dependent on what resonates. But for so long, personally for myself, I tried to do it all by myself because I'm, I'm so self-sufficient and I'm so strong and I'm so resilient, but that only got me to this point. And 
it will start to wreak havoc on the body and the mind when you realize, oh, I have to do something different or show up differently for myself. And that connection point is usually vulnerability because it's a willingness to go back and feel those same feelings that we did as children because children are so vulnerable. And that's why we're avoidant of it because there's pain there likely. And that willingness to go to that space and connect with an individual or a family member or a friend or a spouse is going to take you so much further than just intellectually understanding the information. Yeah, I think also what you're saying about vulnerability, there's shame in asking for help too, because of that desire to want to be or want to be perceived as strong and being able to handle it. I think we all have this, like, I can do this on my own. I think we've grown up with that belief. Yes. Yes. Uh, and maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know if the, the new generation feels that way, but I do feel like at least our generation did. And, and even those before us where there's this, oh, just, I'm just going to take it all on. I can do it. I'll prioritize. I can keep all balls up in the air and still be successful. And like knowing that it's not going to be super easy because there is pain that's there and food is really just a way of masking it. It's a way of dealing on a day-to-day because at least for me, it was like, you get to this point with it where it both like physically fills you, but then emotionally fills you to the point of you don't have to think about that thing that was driving you to that place. Um, And I I think that's when, when we go to these substances, it could be food, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be all these different types of addictions. I mean, we do it to really numb ourselves um, because we don't want to feel, we don't want to have to deal with those things. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because I think it's important that we do get vulnerable and knowing that there are safe spaces to go to places to reach out. So how can people get in contact with you if they wanted to? I do have a group program. I do not do private coaching anymore because I realized it was something that didn't light me up. So I have a group program that will be reignited probably around February, March. And it is a program that takes people through the spiritual, physical, psycho dynamics of what it means to be healthy. And it's four months long. And so you go through a protocol that really does support your body, but it's a lot of nervous system regulation and the program is completely trauma informed so nothing comes in there with this diet mentality or cutting food out or even tracking food i don't believe in that because look at people in blue zones like they've never picked up a my fitness power macros so it's a completely trauma informed setting but so much incredible transformation comes from it and it's Basically everything I've learned for myself and my clients over the last 15 years put into one. So you can find that on my website. And I think the easiest way to like access all of my content is on Instagram where I link my website and everything. I will definitely include that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining today. I've had so much fun digging into this and it's been so informative for me as well. I've never truly talked to anyone about this other than some close friends and family, but I love having your expertise and all of your knowledge and you've 
provided some really, really good tips to really think about how we deal with food and our relationship, even with ourselves. So I'm so grateful for having you today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And I feel honored that you trusted me enough to share a piece of your journey. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in becoming a client and working with me, visit me at nunatherapy.com or follow me on social media at nunatherapy for regular content and inspiration. Until next time.